Hi, I'm Carol Pope, and you're listening to The Stewie Tunes Show with Tony Stewart and Aaron Badgley. More than 150 million albums sold. A member of both the Songwriters Hall of Fame and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Honorary doctorates at seven institutions despite the fact that he didn't finish high school. Headliner for the most successful arena show in music history. Oh yeah, and he also married Christy Brinkley. Of course, we're talking about none other than the piano man himself. So today, here are 10 things you should know about Billy Joel. Welcome to the Stewie Tune Show. These are insights and commentary on the music and musicians that shape our lives. And now, let's go back to class with your hosts, Tony Stewart and Aaron Badgley. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 2. Mr. Badgley, how are you doing? I'm doing just fine, Mr. Stewart, and how are you? I am doing just fine as well. It was a nice uh, sunny day here today compared to the weekend, so that was uh, that was quite lovely, actually. Yeah, here too. It was a very bright, sunny, comfortable weather. Very comfortable. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it's a nice little, uh, you know, winter's not quite here yet, so that's good. <laughs> but the leaves are turning. The leaves are turning. It must be very beautiful where you are. Oh, it is. I've got a couple of acres and I have a, a ton of trees. It's gorgeous, gorgeous. Oh, nice. Very nice. So today we are going to be talking about my uh, biggest influence, uh, Billy Joel, the piano man. And uh, we have been preparing for you, our listener, 10 things that we think you should know about Billy Joel. So why don't we get this thing kicked off, Aaron, and I can start. Go ahead. All right. So did you know that Billy Joel used to be a boxer? I didn't know that. No, he uh, he was an amateur boxer, and he fought in the uh, in the New York State Athletic Commission, and as a teenager, and he had a pretty good record as well. Actually, his record was twenty two and two, which is pretty good. And uh, he also competed in several uh, Golden Gloves tournaments. So he won his first twenty two fights, and then he lost back to back fights to end his career. And in the final fight of his career, he broke his nose, and he. Well, he had his nose broken. He didn't actually break it, but. uh, (laughs) Good thing it was his nose and not his hands. Exactly. And uh, so he decided, that's it. Uh, You know, my boxing career is over. I'll concentrate on the music instead. And I think uh, everybody's glad that he did, you know. (laughs) Well, I sure am. But, um, you know, people forget that when you you said he was in the amateur, right? Yes. But everyone starts there so there's no doubt he must have boxed people that went on to be professional boxers well for sure because the new york state athletic commission that was the same system you know that uh, some of the heavyweight famous people like mike tyson went through that that same system now billy would have fought probably at 125 or 135 you know uh i don't know what that is flyweight or something but uh yeah very interesting so he had uh, boxed for 24 bouts which is pretty impressive i when I learned that. I'm impressed. Yeah. <laughs> Helps with hecklers. Oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what do you have for us? Let's move on to another one. Well, did you know that Billy Joel was at Woodstock? You know what? Now it's my turn to be surprised. I actually didn't. Yeah, he wasn't there to perform because this was before he was huge, but he did go to Woodstock to see Jimi Hendrix. But he left. Oh, wow. But he left. He didn't stay for the whole festival because he found the washrooms really disgusting. Oh, that's interesting. (laughs) I can't blame him. 
I, I mean, I, I listen. There's a lot I can tolerate, but filthy washrooms, not up there. So, um, so yeah, he left after a day and a half. I, I mean, I would have stayed for the band, but that's me. But yeah, he uh, didn't stay. He couldn't stand it. But did he get to see Hendrix though? He would have. Yeah, wasn't, wasn't Hendrix on early, like the first night or second night? I think so. I think first so. First night, I think. I'm pretty sure. I could be wrong. I have to check my facts, but I think he would have seen uh, Jimmy. Yeah. Sure, he wouldn't have left without seeing Hendrix, right? I, I'm sure. But, you know, I think I would have left too. Uh, you look at pictures, uh, you know, those helicopter photos of the crowds and everything, and I can only imagine after that festival was over, the garbage must have been incredible. Well, there's some photographs or film footage of, of a helicopter filming the garbage on the ground after everyone left. And you can't even see the ground. It's just, you know, litter from beginning to end, right? So, Yeah. You know what? Probably a good choice to leave. <laughs> well, he beat the traffic leaving early, too. Yeah, for sure. That would be <laughs> quite, quite the jam. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to move on. And uh, this next one. Um, so we're going to talk about the beginning of uh, Billy's uh, career as a recording artist. He uh, started with his first album, Cold Spring Harbor. And Cold Spring Harbor, I mean, was a disaster for a whole bunch of reasons. He had uh, signed into a contract that certainly wasn't uh, beneficial to him. And also there were issues with the speed of the, uh, of the tunes on the album. And it was all in all very disappointing for him, even though there were great songs in that album. And he was feeling like he needed to get away from this or try to find a way to get out of this contract. And he didn't know how to do it. So he moved to uh, Los Angeles in 1972, and he spent some time working in a piano bar under the name of William Martin. And Martin is actually his middle name, so his complete name is William Martin Joel, and he went by William Martin at this piano bar in Ottawa. And that's where he met all the people who are featured in the song Piano Man. So all those people like Paul, the real estate novelist, and Davey, who's still in the Navy, and all of them are, were based on real people. And, uh, of course, a lot of people have asked him, you know, what exactly is a real estate novelist? Because I'm sure people listening right now are saying, what is that? And, uh, Billy explained, <laughs> Billy explained it, that it was, uh, Paul was, uh, a real estate agent who was going to write the next great American novel. And not sure if Paul ever did, but, uh, so that's pretty neat. He went to, uh, LA, was playing there for six months, of course, was getting lots of attention because, that kind of a talent uh, will attract attention. And a bootleg of his song, Captain Jack, was circulating around, and it caught the attention of Columbia Records, who sought him out, actually, in Los Angeles. And uh, they gave him a second chance at a contract. And, uh, you know, so luckily for all of us, he was able to uh, move forward with his career. Now, if memory serves me well... Columbia bought him out of that horrible contract he was in because they later reissued Cold Spring Harbor, correct speed, and it sounds amazing. But yeah, they he they owned the rights to that album until about seventy eight seventy nine when they gave it back to him as a gift. Oh wow! Yeah, it was a it was a birthday gift to Billy Joel from Columbia Records to say you know thanks for selling a gazillion records. So. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for making <laughs> us a whole ton of loot and uh... exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Hundred percent, hundred percent. That's interesting. Oh, Can you imagine him undercover? That's hilarious. Yeah. I just love that. Oh, and he's such a funny guy. You know, um, 
I honestly think uh, he could have easily had a career in stand-up. His delivery when he talks and, and jokes around is, is impeccable. But he's, uh, he's made some funny uh, remarks about his time in Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, he was, I, I watched uh, one speech that he gave and he was saying, you know, these guys would be drunk and requesting all these songs. And he, some of them he'd never heard of. But he said, you know, you just play a bunch of seventh chords. And <laughs> after a certain number of drinks, it sounds like it's supposed to, you know. <laughs> that's, the, that's the song I love, Billy. That's the song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's really interesting. And it's amazing how some artists have that kind of um, rough start to their career, you know. Oh, for sure. And uh, yeah, he almost got out of the business. He was so discouraged. But uh Stuck it out, thankfully. All right. So uh, what is the next thing that you've got for us? I'm going to go before Cold Spring Harbor. Oh, I'm, yes. I'm going to go to when he was in, i trying to say this without laughing. He <laughs> was actually in a heavy metal band called Attila, which, I'm, first of all, great name for a band. Oh, it's terrific. And folks, Google the album cover. It's one of the fun. <laughs> I mean, there's Billy dressed as a Viking warrior, barbarian, whatever you want to call it. And these, um, you know, slabs of meat. I don't know why the slabs of meat are there. I, I'm not sure either. But uh, it's a great cover. It's hilarious. And um, so Attila was just a duo, him and a guy named John Small. John Small disappeared. He never stayed in music, which is a real shame. But... Um, yeah, it's a it's a heck of an album cover, and um, let's just say Billy wasn't suited for heavy metal. Yeah, I I think that's a uh, I think we can agree on that. But uh, <laughs> Attila is uh, he yeah he doesn't talk very often about Attila, but I'm sure if you asked him about it, he'd totally own it because he's that kind of guy, you know. Uh, so this looks like a great spot for our uh, music history moment. So we'll take a break, and Aaron, I've got a uh, Beatles related one for you. So. Uh, Let's take a break for the music history moment. On October 10th, 1939, the real Eleanor Rigby died in her sleep of unknown causes. She was 44 years old. Even though she shares a name with the famous song, the song wasn't actually written about her. Paul McCartney's first draft named the character Miss Daisy Hawkins. In one of those weird coincidences, Eleanor Rigby's tombstone was found in the 1980s in the graveyard of St. Peter's Church in Walton, Liverpool. Are you ready for this? This was only a few feet from where John Lennon and Paul McCartney had met for the first time back in 1957. And now, back to the show. Excellent, excellent music history moment there, Tony. Really good. Um, well, I, I knew you'd like that one. Well, you know, I, I don't know if you know it or not, but I do like the Beatles. I, I like the fact <laughs> I like you brought up Miss Daisy Hawkins because that was that was an interesting little piece there about instead of Eleanor Rigby it was Miss Daisy Hawkins, but you mentioned that cemetery which is you know where they met John and Paul met, which is very close to a park called Calderstone, which is now the name of Apple Records because Apple Records kind of lost their lawsuit with Apple Computers and they've renamed themselves Calderstone. And uh, so, I, you know what? Who knows about this whole Eleanor Rigby tombstone? Maybe Paul saw it as a young man and it's stuck in the brain. Yeah, I think it's a, I love coincidences like that, though. It's it's kind of creepy and kind of cool at the same time, you know? Yeah, well, <laughs> the song is kind of creepy, too. That's just my opinion, but yeah. <laughs> yes. And uh, for anybody who um, hasn't listened to Season 3, Episode 1 yet, Aaron gave a great story last week about... Uh, 
where some of the inspiration for Eleanor Rigby came from, and I'm uh, not going to give it away. You'll have to go back and listen. All right, let's move on to our next uh, set of four things that we think you should know uh, about Billy Joel. I love this one because this, to me, just encapsulates uh, Billy's personality perfectly. So in 1977, he created a good deal of controversy with the Catholic Church with his song, Only the Good Die Young. And if you haven't heard that song in a while, you know, some of the lyrics, uh, come on, Virginia, don't let me wait. You Catholic girls start much too late. Um, other lines in there, like the stained glass curtain you're hiding behind never lets in the sun. And, you know, uh, you were counting on me while you were counting on your rosary, et cetera, et cetera, all kinds of Catholic imagery in there. And of course, uh, some of the church took great offense to that particularly the Archdiocese of Boston. And uh, so the Archbishop was uh, very insistent that uh, people not buy that record. And uh, of course, as always happens, when you tell someone not to do something, (laughs) people want to go and check it out. And it was quickly followed by the Archdiocese of St. Louis. And the same thing, Uh, the church was trying to tell people, you know, this song's very anti-Catholic, Uh, don't buy it, don't listen to it, boycott it. And uh, it became a hit because before that, the song wasn't really going anywhere. And Billy uh, had the best line ever, I think, on this one. He says, you know, if you actually listen to the song, it's not really anti-Catholic, it's more (laughs) (laughs) pro-lust. And he has a point. And, you know, it's a much tamer song than Frank Zappa's Catholic Girls on uh, Sheik Your Booty. So, you know, I mean, let's put the perspective, right? Well, of course. And, uh, in uh, in St. Louis, he had death threats. That fascinates was, me. Death threats. Yeah, death threats. And so uh, the, the threats were that if he played that song at a show in St. Louis, you know, he, he was facing death threats. And Billy being Billy said, uh, you know, big middle finger to you. And he actually did the song twice during that show and really got, <laughs> got the audience involved. And so, sing along, um, sing along, yeah. <laughs> but the, the best part, is coming next is that uh, of course it became a hit and the song was originally uh, he originally wrote it as a reggae tune and he brought it into rehearsal and his drummer Liberty DeVito said like enough reggae he was you know I'm sick of reggae and why don't we do it like this and he convinced Billy to change the style of the song and so they came up with a new arrangement but uh, Billy actually wrote to both archdioceses, uh, Boston and St. Louis, you know, thanking them for boycotting his record and asking them if they could do it the same for the next one. So I thought that's great. <laughs> he has a great sense of humor, right? Oh, fantastic. Very fantastic. Irreverent. I mean, that, and that was the time when everything was being banned in Boston. You know, it was like, <laughs> that was the running joke. Well, it's got to be good. It's banned in Boston. So Exactly. Hmm. All right. So uh, what do you got for us? Well, this is, it's slightly connected to what you just talked about. I mean, for, for many years, people thought Billy Joel was Catholic because of that song, you know, but he's actually born Jewish. He considers himself an atheist now. But unlike most Jewish people and atheists, he actually believes in ghosts. He has a firm belief in ghosts. He said that he saw a ghost in his East Hampton home as a woman brushing her hair, just sitting there where I guess was one point of vanity, but there was nothing there. She was just sitting in a chair, facing the wall, brushing her hair. And he said ever since then, he's a firm believer in ghosts. And and he didn't say if he was frightened or not, but uh, 
let's just say he he it's stuck in his brain. So yeah, he's a, a, an atheist who believes in ghosts. There you go. Well, maybe she was just out there waiting for him to sing or something. <laughs> you never know, right? Maybe she was Catholic. No, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. That's right. Ban, ban our show, please. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one because it's not so not many people you know first believe you know say they believe in ghosts, but he's a pretty big rock star. He was yeah, I believe in ghosts, man. I've seen one, so there you go. Billy Joel believes in ghosts. He's a very funny guy because you know he's honest about all that stuff. He's there's not much that's off the table when you're talking to him supposedly. So. All right, we're going to move on, and we we can't talk about uh, Billy Joel without talking about the incredible run that he's had at uh, Madison Square Garden in New York City. So he has had uh, a residency at Madison Square Garden, and since January 2014, and he comes and plays once a month, and he has now done 74 consecutive of these shows, and he sells out every month. And um, obviously the pandemic interrupted that, but this uh, residency is incredible. So, I mean, it's the most successful arena show in history. And uh, he does some pretty special things. Uh, One of his uh, traditions that he has at this uh, show is that he leaves the front seats empty. He leaves a couple of rows in the front empty and doesn't allow them to sell tickets there. And he will have his people uh, before the show go up into the cheap seats and invite people down to take the front row of uh, seats. And he explained why he did that. He says, it's because those are my best fans. You know, they're the ones who are having to really work hard to afford the ticket to come here. And so he just likes to give them a little reward. Uh, Again, it shows a a lot about his personality, I think. Speaks about his character, yeah. And so there's another thing about that, uh, Aaron, is did you know he is the only person who is not a sports person who has a jersey retired at uh, Madison Square Garden? I did not know that. So he has number 12 retired, and I've seen it. I've been to Madison Square Garden a couple times. I've never seen Billy. It's on my bucket list, but uh, we should do that, by the way. I, I, I agree. I, I mean, we were going to, my wife and I were going to go see him, before, you know, we had planned and tickets and everything pandemics so we didn't get to go because our daughter lives in new york city so you know what tony road trip yes stewie tune show road trip road trip. On i'm on it i'm, I'm yeah. in yeah let's do it so he's number 12 and the reason that he has jersey number 12 retired up there is because back in 2006 he broke the record for the most sellouts at madison square garden and you know uh who he stole a record from no well, they're good friends. He stole the record from the boss, Bruce Springsteen. So that makes Springsteen, sense. That makes sense. yeah, yeah. Springsteen had a uh, ten. That was the record, and I believe it's the record for consecutive sellouts. Was ten, and then Billy, of course, broke it with twelve. And now, I mean, that's there's way more than that. But uh, yeah, so we had Jersey number twelve retired up there. So he is an institution at uh, Madison Square Garden. And there's another great connection between. Uh, Billy and Springsteen. Um, so Billy works on motorcycles. That's one of his passions. And he's actually got a motorcycle business. He, uh, uh, he builds motorcycles. I and, didn't know that. See, I, that's, I didn't know that. Yeah. And, uh, cause he's always been an avid, uh, motorcyclist, but he builds motorcycles and one of his customers is the boss. Mm. 
And uh, Springsteen told a, a great story about how he had, you know, was riding one of Billy's motorcycles and broke down and had to call Billy to come and pick him up. Because uh... <laughs> I would love to hear a tape of that conversation. I really oh. would. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. That'd be a great album. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, Springsteen's another one who's got a great sense of humor. But they are fast friends, the two of them, and uh, utmost respect for each other. Mm-hmm. Well, and again, understandable. They're both, it speaks to the, the, the character who they both are, right? Very well, honest with, with just about everything. So yeah, very cool. How much are the and bikes? I, oh, you know what? I think they're expensive. I think because they're, they're custom bikes. And, and so I think they're pretty oh, high okay. end. Yeah. So you don't have so, one? No, I don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> Too expensive in Ontario to ride a motorbike, man. <laughs> Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So I think uh, it's your turn for the next one before we take a break. And you've got something about uh, stadiums and shows, too, don't you? Yeah, because, I mean, you mentioned Madison Square Garden, but Billy Joel did the last ever concert at Shea Stadium, which is famous for the Mets, but also famous because the Beatles did the first ever outdoor stadium concert in 1965, sold out, big show. And it's funny, when you go to City Field now, You can actually see pictures of Billy Joel from his last show there, pictures of the Beatles from the first show. So um, he did the last show at uh, Shea Stadium, and um, Paul McCartney was his guest. And conversely, when City Field opened, Paul McCartney was the first artist, which makes sense since he was at Shea, and uh, Billy Joel was his, uh, his guest. So there you go. And I've got a story about that Paul McCartney uh appearance. So if you don't mind, I'm going to tell that really quick here. No, go right ahead. So the last play at Shea, uh, that concert at Shea Stadium that Billy did, he had really wanted Paul McCartney to uh, be involved in that because and of friends that. too, right? Well, that's right. And um, Paul had originally said, I can't do it, man. I've got like a family commitment. I just can't do it. So Billy said he understood totally and he was doing the show. And then Paul, at the last minute, something happened, you know, and he was able to... Um, do the show so they said like he had flown in billy had no idea and they're frantically contacting the backstage people and and telling them like you know mccartney's coming he's gonna do it but uh so paul lands at the airport and he's got the the limo taking him and the police you know uh, escorting them trying to get them to the stadium and billy still had no idea oh wow and he said somebody was trying to get his attention. It was right near the end of the show. And uh, he looked over and there's Paul standing with his base, you know, waiting to come on. And he said, hey, Paul McCartney, ladies and gentlemen. And so that was a, a total surprise for him. And, you know, if you watch the DVD, you could see the joy on, uh, on, on Joel's face when McCartney walks on stage. Pure joy. Yes. It's really, it's a beautiful moment. It really is. Yeah, there's so many great moments from that concert, actually. Oh, I agree. I agree like the Tony Bennett uh, duet that he yeah. did with Billy. Yeah. And, yeah. and he said, you know, you just let Tony do his thing uh, because he's Tony Bennett. And so you just go with it. Right. Yeah. You have to, you have to. <laughs> so this looks like a great time to take our second break. And this is our segment called you say it's your birthday and we'll be right back. Here are our musical birthdays for October 10th. In 1945, we had the birth of John LaCroix from Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Then, one year later, in 1946, influential singer-songwriter John Prine was born. He passed away in April of this year. In 
1955, we had the births of David Lee Roth from Van Halen and country star Tanya Tucker. And finally, in 1967, Mike Malinen of the Goo Goo Dolls was born. And those are our musical birthdays for October 10th. And now, back to the Stewie Tune Show. And we're back. And Aaron, you know, we couldn't also, like I said, you can't talk about Billy Joel without talking about Madison Square Gardens. But you also can't talk about Billy Joel without talking about Christy Brinkley. I mean, they are, uh, their stories, uh, you know, belong to each other. And so everybody knows that Billy married Christy Brinkley. But what a lot of people don't know is that Billy was dating another supermodel right before uh, he met Christy Brinkley. And he was dating Ella McPherson. Yeah, so, uh, you know, he's obviously great taste in women, and he's uh, very successful with the ladies, but uh, he was dating Elle McPherson, and she was 19 years old at the time, and uh, he had gone away on vacation. He had been dating Elle for a little while, and he had gone away on vacation and met Christy Brinkley, and they started dating, and and meanwhile, you know, his relationship with Elle McPherson was was kind of not going anywhere, Um, so... Billy is uh, back in New York with Christy Brinkley and he takes her up to his penthouse apartment and he's opening the door and sure enough, who's in the apartment was Elle McPherson and he's standing over Christy and Elle Elle was right inside the door. And uh, Billy was talking about this. And uh, again, this is his sense of humor, you know, Um, he said two things went through his mind. The first one was uh, how am I going to talk my way out of this one? And the second thing that went through his mind was, man, if only my friends could see me now. <laughs> you know, these are problems that amateur boxers don't usually have, you know? Well, that's right. That's right. So, you know, that's why, uh, you know, become a musician, all you young folks listening out there, because... <laughs> <laughs> you too could have this problem, yeah. Yeah, and I remember, uh, did you remember uh, how shocked everybody was when Billy and Christy uh, you know, when, when that relationship became public, it was, uh, I remember everybody that I knew anyway, was very, very surprised by that. But, uh, she, uh, her appearances in his videos and stuff are oh, great. Fantastic. I mean, Uptown Girl and, um, the other one. Just oh, keep, keeping the Faith. Keeping the Faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. She's the girl, the redhead in the Chevrolet. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and nope. the song Matter of Trust, was that not written for uh, Christie as well? I believe it was, yes. Yeah, great video, too. Yes. And uh, so obviously they divorced, but they had a daughter together, Alexa Ray, and she is in her early 30s. Uh, she's a wonderful singer. And have you heard her sing before? I have indeed, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's true. fantastic. Yeah, very uh, distinct voice, very distinct style. And uh, obviously, I think she's got her dad uh, wrapped around her finger, you know. Most daughters do. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah so that's the story uh you know the tie-in with christy brinkley and ella mcpherson and uh what have you got because this is the last one well you know i seem to be having a theme tonight of concerts but i thought it was important to note that billy joel was one of the first western rock artists to play russia hmm. back in uh 85 86 and uh great live album came from that which was actually originally the first ever live radio broadcast of a rock concert in russia on state radio so billy got invited to play russia and he toured he did a lot of dates there. this is long before you know other people wham and all those others who went over to to uh, china and russia of course he played back in the ussr 
but mm-hmm. uh, it was a great con. You know, it's an amazing, once again, great live album, great live album, a great documentary about it too. Yeah. His live albums are fantastic, you know, um, and uh, Leningrad, that song gets me every time. Every time. That, yeah, me too. That's uh, what an amazing song, you know, uh, for those of you listening out there, if you don't know Leningrad by Billy Joel, uh, check it out. And yeah, uh, fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. And, and this live album, I'm not, I can't even begin to pronounce it because there's no vowels. I don't think. No, but, uh, <laughs> just K's and P's and D's, but, uh, it's a, it was a, it was a monumental thing, right? I mean, he, he opened the door for people like Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr, Pink Floyd. I mean, they, they all went to Russia too, right? So very cool. Very, very cool. Well, you know what, Aaron, these have been really, uh, 10 great things I think that we've shared today. And, uh, we have one more segment left and this is where we are going to tie every episode into how it relates to the Beatles somehow. So Rick has, uh, written us some music for this, a little stinger here that they call, that's what they call it in this business. But, uh, this little stinger, I'll introduce that now. And here we go with six degrees of Beatlemania. Well, this might surprise you, and it might surprise a lot of listeners, but uh, here's how we're going to tie Billy Joel. We've already talked about McCartney, but we're going to talk about his old friend, John Lennon. So, you know, John and Yoko split up for 18 months. When they got back together again, their song was Just the Way You Are by Billy Joel. He was a big Billy Joel fan. He liked the stuff he heard on the radio, and that was him and Yoko. That was their song. So when they had anniversaries or... Dances, they would always make sure they played just the way you are. Now, this is where it gets kind of funny. Billy Joel had a house, I don't know if he still does or not, in a place called Cove Bay, which is a is very... That, hmm? Was that the house for glass houses? That's right. That's, that's bang on. So Lennon's, Lennon's got his yacht, and he's cruising around Oyster Bay, and he sees Billy Joel's house. So he gets as close as he can, and he starts screaming at the top of his lungs, Billy, I love you, Billy, Billy Joel, I love you, Billy. <laughs> Billy wasn't home, but there's Lennon in the middle of this bay just screaming at the top of his lungs that he's seeing Billy Joel's house from the uh, glass houses. So, anyways, John Lennon, big fan of Billy Joel. I don't think they ever met, but um, no. could you imagine if they had worked together in the 80s or 90s? That would have been yeah. amazing. Yeah, that would have been incredible. Well, there you have it, folks. So now uh, the teacher in me is going to come out here, Aaron. So, uh, what'd you learn today? <laughs> Well, I, I, I really, uh, it's a couple of things, but for me, the, the big one was the boxing and, and, and the motorcycle. Those two things. The motorcycle I can kind of see, but the boxing took me a bit, that took me by surprise. So that was, that was a big takeaway for me. Oh, excellent. For me, uh, the Lennon story at the end, I had no idea about that. And I had no idea that uh, Lennon was a big fan. So, you know there you go that's one of the best things i think about doing the show together you know you just learn something new every time we get together couldn't agree more well uh here we are at the end of uh season three episode two folks we've got an excellent episode coming up next uh walter debar is going to be our guest and i cannot wait and uh you can tell us a little more aaron because you know walter a little better than i do for sure so well, he's a musician, singer, writer from West Virginia. He has a band. Uh, he has a voice unlike anyone else. I'm, I'll just say that. Yes. Um, remarkably kind, kind individual. And he's got great stories to tell. That's what I'm going to say. He's just a... And I wish I could harness one-tenth of his energy. 
<laughs> you'll, you'll know what I mean when you talk to him. But uh, he's a great guy and, and so talented. I can't wait to talk to him, too. Yeah, me too. And, you know, he's itching to come on the show as well. He, uh, we were talking today. So that's going to be a fantastic interview. All right. Well, folks, thank you very much for listening. And uh, the best thing you can do, you know, is subscribe to the show because then you get automatically in your feed. You'll find out whenever there's a new episode. Uh, pass the word around. Let your friends know. Uh, let your family know. Get them to listen. Um, share our posts on social media. That really helps independent podcasters like us. And uh, we're really glad that we had the opportunity to talk with you today about Billy Joel. So until next time, stay safe, stay well, and see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Stewie Tunes Show. Follow us on social media or visit us online at stewietunes.com. And if you're enjoying the show, don't forget to click subscribe.